As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We are not a podcast. We are a community. Remember, your past does not dictate your future. You determine your success. Without further ado, let's get to it. So we have uh, Rod Smith in the building today. How you doing, Rod? I'm doing well. Yourself? Can't complain. Can't complain. We're just living the dream. You know, take it a day at a time. Roger that. Same here. <laughs> Running a small business every day is uh, all hands on deck. I love it, but it's uh, there's different drama every day. You can count on it. Believe that. We believe that. Well, thank you for carving out some time. It definitely means a lot to us just to to be able to connect with you know NFL veteran, Notre Dame alum. And I know Brandon has some questions about Notre Dame here in a bit. Yeah, I know there's more behind the scenes than just the football career to Rod Smith, I'm sure, as you just mentioned, running a business. So, you know, without further ado, I'm just ready to dive in if you are. Yeah, let's get going. All right. So, yeah, let's let's start with, you know, who is Rod Smith? Obviously, most people remember the heroics on the gridiron. But, you know, what have you been up to? Originally from St. Paul, Minnesota. My dad lives in the same house that I grew up in. Mother and father got divorced when I was 10 years old, um, but have always been good friends. They used to go to Notre Dame football games together and, and sit together. As a matter of fact, my dad would stay at my mom's house when he would come to South Bend. And I think about that for a second. So you got the, 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 the second black woman to graduate from the University of Georgia. That's my grandma. She's a monster. Would allow my father, who had divorced her daughter, to stay with her. When he visited Notre Dame with her son, because my grandmother lived in South Bend. So that just gives you some kind of understanding of the kind of what I like to call mature, some people might call crazy family dynamics that, that, I'm, that I'm kind of accustomed to. You know, always academic first. My dad and I did a study in high school. I think it was, this is, this is 87. But in 1987, I think it was, if you were state player of the year in high school, you had a 5% chance of making a roster and a 3% chance of playing five years getting the pension. So with numbers like that, our entire uh, high school you know, program was built to, or a protocol was built in order to get us to the best university possible to increase our chances of having a successful life. Football was, was means to an end. It's always been that way for me. Some guys live it. It's in their blood. They live and die with it. I'm not that guy. I, I played it. It was separate from academics. I enjoyed it, competed like crazy, willing to die on the field. But when the game was over, the game was over for me. Chose Notre Dame. It came down to Notre Dame, Stanford, and Harvard. Harvard's football team was garbage back then. Stanford's football team, Jack Elway, had announced prior to the season that it was going to be his last year coaching. And they were already garbage. They had a couple years of winning three or less games. And he was going to retire. It's funny. Had Denny Green been there a year later, I may have gone to Stanford. Mm. I really enjoyed that campus in Stanford. Stanford, you kidding me? So, a kid coming from Minnesota? Yeah. So, you know, I went to Notre Dame. I watched a drill called the Oklahoma drill. If uh, listeners are familiar with this. So you take three of your best offensive linemen and three of your best defensive linemen, and you put them in a approximately seven yard wide, 10 yard deep space. And they compete with a running back on one side, Ricky Waters, okay, or Anthony Johnson, and then on the other side, you've got Michael Stonebreaker or Wes Pritchard or somebody else on that side, or Frank Stamps, you know, on that side. And they compete for yardage in this little, small, you know, you've got 
you've got 1,200 pounds of, of alpha male in a 10 by 10 foot box competing for, for inches. I mean, you gain three yards, it's like a 70 yard touchdown run. I mean, so I didn't see that at UCLA. I didn't see that at Stanford, obviously. I didn't see it at, at, at Harvard, but I did see it at Notre Dame. It was old school, physical, you know, beat up your man type of, uh, type of deal. And I was watching that thing and with Derek Brown on my left, who was a USA Today Player of the Year, Rocket Ishmael on my right, who was Pennsylvania Player of the Year, and Rod Smith, the weakest guy in the group, Minnesota State Player of the Year. And we're watching this thing, and I looked at, I looked at Rocket, and I said, I'm in. I go, listen, I, I'm in. You, you have five years to graduate. It's University of Notre Dame. I think we we're 13th in the country at that time as far as academically rated. And, and they compete like that. I'm I'm all about it. That's that's my style. I'm a grinder. I'm not a finesse guy. I've never been. I can't catch. I still can't catch. <laughs> Worked on the jugs for. I've caught a million balls. I cannot. You throw me a pin. I'm going to drop it. Um, I'm a defensive back because I can't catch. If I can catch. I'd be. I might still be catching passes if I could catch. But but, but I don't have that skill set, right? You gotta you know play. You know you gotta you gotta use what you got, right? Um, so so yeah, I chose Notre Dame and. Uh, uh, great decision. I love the university. I had a great experience there, surrounded by, you know, just superstars. And, you know, not to get too deep in this wormhole early, but, you know, there was a time where I was I was standing behind the first team offense, listening to uh, Coach Holtz talk to Jerome Bettis, okay, Hall of Famer, you dig? And he says, hey, Jerome, he goes, listen, let me tell you what, if you want to get on the field, your ass is going to learn how to block. I tell you what, look, there's Ricky Waters, Rocket Ishmael, Listen, there's no room for you, okay? You want to play tailback, you want to but you can't be, you can't block. So, listen, so a, a Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame tailback played his entire sophomore year at fullback because it is the only way he would have ever saw the field. You're not taking Ricky Waters rock. You're not taking Rocket, Rocket Ishmael's rock. You're on the bench. You're going to ride the bench. So we put a, a, a Hall of Famer at fullback for an entire season. And I'll tell you this. That's what made him. Jerome Bettis was not as tough as a freshman as he was at the after his sophomore year. It was over. I mean, because they put him in that spot where he's got to block those linebackers one on one. I mean, this is this is old school Woody Allen, ISO running attack football. This isn't the new stretch run play. This is you got him and he knows you're coming. <laughs> yeah, he, he knows you're coming. You got to block him. He's right in front of you. So it's a different animal. So you give a guy like Jerome with that much talent and you put him in a situation where he's got to block and develop that physical toughness, that ruggedness, you know, that assertiveness that you get playing fullback. And then you put him at tailback as a junior, forget about it. Listen, listen, the first time I tackled that guy, he knocked my helmet sideways on my face. I, I swear to you, you hear this looking out of your ear hole. I was literally like looking at it. I was like, that never happened to me before. I was like, what? I thought, I thought something was on my brain. I was like, oh, oh, I can't see. They're like, no, man, you, it's, just, it's just your helmet. I was like, oh, my bad. <laughs> That's a real talk. I was like, what? I thought something was wrong with me. Like, no, no, man, you just got run over. That's how that is. So, so yeah, anyway, it's a kind of roundabout stories, but uh, but that's why I chose Notre Dame, and, you know, my, my parents are, my mom's got a couple doctor degrees, my dad's master's degrees, we're trying to be a highly educated bunch, and statistically relevant way to try to have a successful life is educate yourself as much as possible, and that's kind of what my family's been about, and, and Notre Dame gave us the opportunity to, to, to actualize that, and, and the rest is history.
Wow, I love that. I love that. I mean, the opportunity to play with with Hall of Famers, like you said, like Jerome Bettis, I'm sure you learned uh, as much from him on the field as as off and other caliber players such as himself. So I can't imagine, you know, what that was like. It was it was awesome. Again, I jumped in the football side, but to wrap this other uh, other side up real quick, I um, played seven years, retired, got a call from Dan Reeves in 1999 to come down and help him with the Atlanta Falcons. He had a bunch of young cornerbacks. You know, I was feeling good. I, I retired. My back was feeling better now. The back has been my big problem, L5 disc. But mm-hmm. I was feeling better, so I ran down there to training camp and uh, and tackled um, uh, Jamal Lewis the last preseason game of the year on the goal line. I was a little guy, but I always played goal line. And uh, hurt my back again. I made the tackle. He did not score, but, uh, you know, crushed my disc for the, for the last time. And um, another, I'm going to keep throwing these little sidebars at you, so, so just bear with me. One of the most interesting conversations I had as a football player was with Dan Reeves after I'd hurt my back. Um, so I hurt my back week four of the preseason. The doctor tells me, listen, if I have to see you for this back again, Rod, you're gonna, we're going to fuse your vertebrae. Now, that means the end of your golfing career. You know, if you, if you fuse the L5, L4 is three years later, L3 is three years later, you, you end up in a wheelchair, right? So we're not doing that. So I'm going to retire. I've already retired once. No problem. I'm, I'll go get my MBA and get this business thing started. And there was a note in my locker. So I went to see the doctor. I came back. There's a note in my locker that says, Dan Reese wants to see you. So I walk in his office and he goes, you know what, Rod? Uh, the doctor told me what his recommendation that you should retire. And I just want, want you to, I don't know what you're thinking about this, but I want to share you share my story with you. And that is um, my second to last year in the league, um, I hurt my knee for the second time. And the doctor told me, Reeves, you... Now, if we have to see you for this knee again, you're going to regret it the rest of your life. And he said, Rod, I, you know, I, I, want, I love the game, so I ran back out there and healed up and played again the next year, and I injured that knee for a third time. And he showed me this huge scar down the side of it, and he said it swells every day. And it's, it's, it's the worst thing that ever happened to me. So my advice to you is when the doctor says it's time to quit because of an injury, it's absolutely 100% time to shut it down. And most coaches – are trying to get everything they can out of a player, right? And you're trying to match. So, like, I, I honestly believe that percent of the coaches would say, hey, you know what, hey, Rod, heal up the back. You'll be back week six. Like, that's that's the kind of talk you get. But Dan Reeves was truly concerned about my well-being. And this is a guy who I'd only played for for four weeks. You know what I mean? It's not, it's like he drafted me and, you know, he's from me from college. And we go, no, that's not the case. It just speaks to the quality of man Dan Reeves is, and that's kind of sidebar about Dan Reeves. But but there are some guys out there coaching that that truly care about the well being of their players, and Dan Reeves is one of them. Yeah, it definitely speaks to his character, right? You know, I former professional soccer player, not at the level of, at which you played football, but you know, I definitely remember coaches trying to get the most out of you. Um, had some injuries, a broken leg, and some and some different things happen. And you, you definitely remember the coaches that supported you off the field as well as on and the ones that just wanted you to, to perform. And that was it. So uh, those are the ones that I remember uh, most of the ones that that cared about Chris, not the soccer player, but the man, the human being. At the same time, too, it's kind of unpacking a lot of what you said. Man, I, don't, I don't want to skip over this piece. You came from a family of high achievers. Right, from from both sides to an extent. But Notre Dame, but you have Notre Dame, Harvard, and Stanford as options. So you weren't no dummy, obviously. Right? 
So you have this gift of this, this, this academic excellence as well as this ability to be athletically excellent as well, right? Along with some kind of sense of maturity to decide to choose a school for the right reason, I would imagine. Do you think all that came because of your upbringing or, or that's something you always always kind of had? As, as far as your ability to perform at a high level academically and athletically and, and be mature at that young age? That's a great question. And I, I think... Um Clearly, for me, more than anything, it is um, you know I am a a product of my uh, of my parents without question. I mean, listen, I would be under the jail if it wasn't for for Dr. Smith and and my dad. Like I, I mean, absolutely under the jail. I am I am um, tough enough and just smart enough and just crazy enough to be a bunch of problems for the entire world. But I had parents that, that instilled discipline in me at an early age, uh, much of that against my will. But nonetheless, uh, you know, and it's funny because, you know, there's studies that talk about academic achievement. And, uh, and, and I, my experience is, is, uh, would, would back up most of the results in that, in that good grades are mostly environment and having the right habits, you know, um, the gap between grades, between the top and the bottom, is much higher than the actual gap of intelligence. We, we tend to like put intelligence on top of grades, and it's more habits, you know. When you have a father that says, "Listen, you know, if, you know, no more Atari until you until all the studies are done. You know, no dessert until you show me all the work that's been done." He was, I had that kind of dad. He was like, "Show me the work." I mean, he was like, "Are you done?" Oh, okay, we're good. Yeah, you got some dessert. No, no, no. He was like, bring that math in here and let's go over this thing. Like, like literally, every every single night this cat and I would sit at the table across from each other and go over every assignment, make sure everything was done right. I mean, so when you get that kind of attention, oh, you're really smart. Well, maybe, but but in my house, there's no getting away from it. I don't care if you're if, if you're dumb, you're gonna get A's in my house. Believe me, if, 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 I don't care if it takes you one hour or six hours. I mean, like, you're going to finish, you're going to finish that homework, we're going to review, and it's going to be right. You did, whether it takes you an hour or six. You know, my dad's like, listen, you want to eat? Bring me that math. You know what I'm saying? Otherwise, no yep. for you. You know, so that's, that's what it was. You know what I mean? Like, it was real tough. This, this cat was showing the practice. Cats, I mean, practice, at football practice in high school. So it was, hey, Ron, hey, 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 Papa Spencer over there behind that tree. My dad would be like, stand half behind the tree, like, watch like this. Like, listen, if I see you duck your head, that's a concussion. I'm pulling you out of the game. I'm pulling you out. We're not, we're not we're not doing concussions. That's bad. That's bad for you. Um, it's a lifelong injury, a concussion. And if I see you ducking your head, then you know you're not playing the game the right way, and you're out of there. Like so, we had a very strict environment, which kind of you know kept us on the straight and narrow. Like that, like that, like that. And it's, it's funny because we we have this discussion a lot about the disparity and the gap between wealth and education and, and how to fix that. Oftentimes, exposure. Like what are you exposed to? And I love the fact you said that it's not always a gap in intelligence, oftentimes a gap in attention towards that particular child or individual. Because a lot of kids that are highly intelligent, that are in less fortunate situations, and they take that, that smarts and apply it in different ways, right? More counterintuitive, illegal ways, versus applying to the things that you apply to. But they had that kind of exposure to a parent that placed that focus, hyper-focus on those things they could be at Stanford and Harvard as well. So I'm glad you mentioned that piece. Yeah, absolutely. And then I'll wrap up real quick and look at some questions. I uh, retired, got an MBA, Patrick University. I thought I wanted to get into finance. I did a year at, uh, at First Union Bank back then. Did well. I was 
one of the leading first year reps in the country, but just hated the politics of it. You know, you can't go from, at least for me, I wasn't mature enough to go from a football best man plays environment to a banking environment where, you know, it's about seniority and who you, who you know, who you like. I mean, my manager told me, I'll never forget this. My manager told me at first union that, hey, Rod, you're doing a great job here. We're excited that you're here, but you need to get closer to Mary if you want to move up in this place. I mean, she's the one that's going to allow you to, to progress. So the next time she has one of these wine tastings at her house, you should go. And, and I thought to myself, let me get this straight. The way I move up is by being closer to Mary, by drinking, by drinking wine with Mary. Not, not my skill level or my effort level, but being, I go, I, I'm in the wrong place. You know, so uh, I started working for ESPN. I was doing college football games for a couple of years. Hit a glass ceiling. I was working next to to a guy. I won't mention any names, but had been there for 21 years, taking three three uh, percent raises. You know what I mean? Like, like that's fine. You know, you can make a nice a nice life. I just I wanted I wanted more than that. You know what I mean? I met a, uh, a senior vice president at 84 Lumber. And this is back in you know the early 2000, 2004. Right, so. The building, building is just going crazy, especially in Charlotte, just blowing up. So I meet him at a wine tasting of all places, Billy Ball, good dude. And he says, look, man, like, you know, you're going to start making nothing an hour, but in two years I can have you trained up to run your own store. Uh, you're a football player, NBA, you know, you like teamwork and that kind of thing. This is, this is perfect for you. And I was like, I don't know, building industry, I don't know anything about construction. He goes, just, just let me just introduce you to some of the guys and just, t- just take a look at it. I go, all right. So the next day we go out and look at the look at the store, the true store, and we walk in, and they have this chart where they where they post the top ten salespeople in the region, and their sale numbers. And I look, I'm looking at it. I look at the top guy, and I'm like, huh, Greg Wilson. Greg Wilson made thirty two thousand dollars last month selling lumber and doors. What? I, you gotta be kidding me. He said. He said. I said, wait a minute. That guy made thirty-two thousand dollars a month. He goes, yeah, you know, it's one of our all-time records, best ones. I go, is he here? He goes, yeah. Let me go get him for you. So they go get this cat, and Greg. I mean, I mean, he's my boy. So, so I'm not, I'm not, you know. So he comes walking out with cut-off jean shorts, <laughs> all right, some butters on. They're not even laced up, and, he, and he's got, he's got like a ketchup stain on his shirt, on his eighty-four shirt, and a dip in his lip. I said, I'm in. I'm in. I listen. If this cat, if this cat can make thirty-two cheese a month, like, oh man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna set records up in this piece. So listen, so that's what I did. I, I, I said I'm in. So I made seven dollars and thirty-five cents an hour for like a year and trained like crazy. I read, I read everything in the store, every book, every, every label. I just educated myself. I just, I just dove in like crazy. I worked, I bought on Saturdays and just run the front counter so I get exposure to, to clients and learn the business. I was working for free on Saturdays. That's, I was, I'm trying to learn this thing. You know, we developed a, a bunch of new ways to make money at, at, uh, um, at 84 Lumber, selling different products and turnkey. I mean, really, really kind of took it in another direction. You know, they didn't do business with like Bill for BD or that kind of thing. And um, I kind of bridged that gap. And, and yeah, so I, I sold lumber, installed and then, uh, then got into cabinets, and now I'm doing multifamily cabinets, magnolia cabinetry, and uh, you know apartments and townhomes and that kind of thing. Not individual houses so much, but but you know, like I'm looking at a 528 uh, unit deal that we're looking to close in next week, and kind of what I was working on this morning, and and that's the deal now. But, uh, but yeah, it's it's funny how things go. I I, I swear, oh, I I, lo- I love math. I was econ undergrad, 
I thought the bathing is going to be perfect for me, and it just wasn't wasn't a good fit. And I'm glad I got out of it. I'm I'm glad you you know this says a lot about your character. The second half of the story, right, is like what you're doing now to be a former NFL player, right? Former professional athlete. There's probably people listening to this, like you know, I'm going to make it to the league, and that's that's my that's my ticket. Everything's going to go as planned, but you know. Maybe plan A still is plan A, the lifestyle or whatever you want to create. Sometimes the the direction or the avenue in which we reach plan A is different. And so you humbled yourself in a very big way, which I have to say kudos to you on that, because that says a lot about your your mentality and your upbringing to go work for seven something an hour after playing at such a high level and then being like, you know what? I'm still, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to learn this industry and then I'm going to go kill it. So I just had to point that out because that's amazing. I actually had a blast at it was great. And, you know, loading, unloading trains and loading trains and loading trucks and all that. And I mean, but, but that's how you learn. I mean, I have a, I have a, a deep understanding of uh, logistics uh, and operations and how to move product from A to B and inventory management. Like I, I have a, you know, it's in my blood now. I understand it because I've done it and, and you work. And, you know, it's, there's no, um, I've never, I kept on thought this, there's, there's never embarrassment or shame in effort. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, like it doesn't matter what level it is. If somebody's grinding, like I'm like, hey, you know, how can I help? Or like, like or, or I better get on my grind because this person's getting ready to pass me. You know what I mean? Like when I see somebody going hard, I'm like, oh, is this, is this an enemy or a friend? Number one, because if it's an enemy, I need to get on my horse. You know what I mean? So it's funny. You know, I hear that thing like, oh, I can't believe you did I'm like, you know, I saw I can't make 32000 with the ketchup scene on the shirt. You did? Like, listen, whatever you got to say, like, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm working next Saturday. You did? But I, I don't care about any of that nonsense. All I know is that dude with the ketchup stain and the cut up jean shorts is making a, t- a ton of cash. You know what I mean? So... so uh, yeah, it was a it was a great experience. It's awesome. Uh, yeah, Ron, I just had a question for you as well. I think you touched on it a little bit, but obviously you prepared most your entire life. Obviously, you played a game at a high level, compete obviously for seven years. But how has that preparation allowed you to take it from on the field um, and now going off the field and what you're creating and still working on? How has that helped from your preparation and your game playing days transitioning into off the field and what you're creating now? Brandon, that's a great question, Brandon. And, and you know, it's, it's funny. I was thinking about this the other day. I think more than anything, like the National Football League prepares you how to handle adversity. Even the most dominant players in the National Football League are not as dominant as the most dominant high school players or the most dominant college players. There's a, there's a larger gap between the top and the bottom in college and then even greater gap in high school, right? So the state player of the year in high school can just run over everybody and around everybody, and he's just he's on the he's on the he's on the field by himself. And then in college, you know, you get somebody uh, like Jerome Bettis, who's obviously the best player in the stadium, but he's not going to run for 250 yards and six score. I mean, he's not going to you know he's going to get his 125 and two scores maybe and catch you know, but it gets smaller. So and then in the pros, the best player. You know, the, the gap gets even smaller. So everybody in the pros, all that to say is everybody in the pros is going to take some L's. A lot of L's. More L's than you've ever taken in your life. You know, you, you're going you're gonna to give up more catches in your first month playing against Irving Fryer 
and New England Patriots as a rookie, then you've given up the last four years. I mean, Urban Fryer's gonna, Urban Fryer's doing, is running routes. You think it's an in route, he takes it up the field. You think it's a, a crosser, he, he's cutting it back. Like, every single route he runs, you've never seen before. And he's faster than you, he's bigger than you, he's got better hands than you, and he's stronger than you. So, what are you gonna do? And what are you gonna do? You, you're gonna, you're gonna cry, you're gonna cry, you're gonna quit? I mean, you know, what are you going to do? You're a second-round draft choice. They're expecting you to play. Like, you, you know, listen, you, and they just give you a check. You know, what do you, I mean, what are you going to do? So you have to just accept the fact that it's not going well, and it's embarrassing, and it's humiliating, but the only thing I can do now is take care of my decision on the next play. All I can do now is manage the next decision I make, and the next decision I make is going to be to compete like hell. You know what I mean? So you, you get in this mode of like, oh, I got beat for a touchdown. All right, let's line it up again. I got beat for, I got beat for another touchdown. Ah, oh, let's line it up again. I mean, the first practice I had in New England as a rookie, I think I think he got me for like five scores. And maybe like three and one-on-ones and like one in Pascal and another one in team. I mean, I gave him more touchdowns in my first practice in New England than I've given up the last six months. You know what I mean? I, then I gave up the whole year before, you know? So long story, but... But when you face that kind of, you know, that kind of opponent day after day, you're getting, you're just taking L's and taking L's and taking L's. I, I'm, I'm going to go put a, a little side by here. So, so Steve Smith is a good friend of mine. Okay. Monster, right? Everybody knows that dude. Right? So when Steve first got to the Carolina Panthers, he couldn't get off the jam. They were literally knocking Steve down to the ground in one-on-one pass. All right. One-on-one. I mean, one-on-ones, they're like jamming at the last scrimmage and knocking C. Smith to the ground. And we all know how that went down. All right? I mean, not, not, not well. But Coach John Fox told me, he said, Rob, he said, you know, we like him. He's tough. He's aggressive. But he can't get off the jam. I mean, I'm talking to him at training camp, a week in a training camp. He's like, Rob, I can't, can't play him. I mean, he's going to be a fine special teams player, but I cannot play him a wide receiver. He, I can't put him in the game because he can't even get off the ball. All right. However, what Steve did is show up every day and grind. Show up every day and work on his technique. Keep working on it. for for a guy to go from unable for the coach for the coach not to be able to play Steve Smith at wideout because he couldn't count on him to get off the ball to being a borderline Hall of Famer. I mean, like it's it's the ability to take the negative information and process it in a way that's going to allow you to improve your skills. It's taking the negative and turning it into positive. But that's that's the lesson I got out of, of the National Football League, one of the big ones. Controlling the controllables. Yeah. Right. So, so, so you play corner. I play corner as well. One thing we all we taught was short-term memory. Right. Even you can get a pick, forget about it. You can get burnt, forget about it. Right? Our position is one in which you can't, you can't dwell on the last play that's irrelevant. And you may, my uncle was Peter Bowler. You may know him, Brosky. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I, so I grew up around Peter, Ray, my my godfather was Greg Jones, my uncle Boer. So Florida State, Ravens, Jacksonville, Seahawks, I trained with all these guys when I was younger. So getting that mindset, mentality, they all think that same way. And it's the idea of I'm going to get beat, but I'm going to get better in the process. I'm going to get beaten up to where I can learn, adapt, and grow. I'm not going to cower down, right? No, it's always somebody bigger and better than you, but the question is, are you going to work to get beyond that point. One thing Greg told me, we, we, we were down. You know Coach Tom Shaw? Yeah, absolutely. Tom Shaw, he, he runs the Barbara Bar- Bar- Disney sports training. 
it was going out here. I think it was 20, 2011. I've done it with Greg. Ike Taylor was there. Willie Gay. A bunch of NFL guys. I'm training, I'm training with these cats. Doing seven on seven with these dudes, one on ones and stuff. It was an insane experience. That's awesome. And and one thing Greg told me, Greg said, listen, that the ability. The question is, are you going to put the work in to get over the hump? It's a lot of guys with ability, but they don't put the work in to get their next point. Right? And that's a lot of my struggle. Right, you always had this inherent diving ability, but never put the extra mile in the next home time, right? And that, that's, that's the key. When it's not, okay, cool. I, what, how can I get better? Where are the flaws in my game? Let me, let me compete with somebody who's better than me so I can understand how I can get better. And Steve Smith, obviously, is a beast now. Like, this dude, he's he, he throwing cats on the floor. <laughs> All day, every day. He's still throwing cats on the floor, right? <laughs> so, I, so that story you just told, I didn't know he, he was getting, he could have the dog on line. Now he's destroying cats. He's not imagine if, if, if Steve said, yo, ah, I can't get off the line. I'm I'm done. This dude played 16 years in the league, phenomenal career. He learned from that that flaw. And now he's strong as hell. You can't even touch the man, right? So it's it's using your weaknesses to become greater from that. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. You know, and this is a cat that, you know, Steve Smith, I mean, went to the Pro Bowl as a special teams player. Wasn't enough. They didn't even matter to him. I mean, it didn't even matter to him. You know what I mean? Like it's a, it's a, it's an amazing story. You know, and, it, and it's a, it's about willpower. And you touched on on, a, on something important. You know, whenever I whenever I speak to high school kids, one of the things I tell them is, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but it's two things. Number one is that I asked Vinny Serrato at Notre Dame, who was the recruiting coordinator during the time I was there. We had the number one recruiting class in the country five years in a row. I asked Vinny Serrato, who's the, the most celebrated recruiting coordinator in the world. How do you decide who's the last player that you offer a scholarship to? I, I get why you offer a scholarship to Austin McBride. I mean, he's Florida State Player of the Year. I get why you offer Rocket Ishmael, he's Pennsylvania State Player of the Year. Like, I, I get it. I get it. But who gets the last scholarship? Vinny looked at me and said, I'll never forget this. He said, the kid with the highest GPA. He goes, let me tell you, Rod, let's say, let's say we need a tight end. And I've got one, I've got, I'm done my last, my last scholarship. I need a tight end. And there's a four-star tight end out of Albuquerque, and there's a four-star tight end out of Charlotte, North Carolina. You know what? I don't even look at film. I don't call the coach. I look at the GPA. I take the kid with the highest GPA. Just like that. I want your kid in. He goes, yep. He goes, the kid with the highest GPA is not going to be in problems with some girl in the dorm. He's going to be more likely to be, be better coach, easy to, to coach. He's going to make better decisions on and off the field. So, Listen, I don't need to go visit him and chase him all around. At this point, I'm done on my last pick. I'm just taking the – I need a tight end. Give me the highest rated tight end with the highest grade point average, and that's the guy that gets, that's, that's who gets the scholarship. I went, wow, that's pretty crazy. So so the academics are not only important. They're the difference between going to um, the App State or North Carolina State is GPA. Same, literally, the same kid. You got a 2.0, you go to App State. If you got a 3.8, you're, you might be going to Florida State. Same, same kid. That's how it goes. The other part about it is this. If Nick Saban is recruiting you and Nick Saban shows up at your high school, he's going to ask your coach, hey, the guy I'm here to see, uh, Roger Smith. Is Roger Smith one of the two hardest working players on your team? The coach says, I don't know. Nick Saban's going to go, appreciate your time, coach. He's going to get back in his car. He's going to go back to the airport and go back to Alabama. Just like that. If the coach doesn't say, yeah, oh, yeah, he's a grinder. He's he's the guy. Listen, Nick Saban's like, listen, 
Listen, I got five stars lining up to try to come to Alabama. I swear to you, this is a true story. Nick Saban's like, listen, if, if he's not one of the hardest-working players on the team, I'm not interested. Straight up, not interested. You're not going to Alabama like that. So, you know, your work ethic you know, carries a lot of weight, especially at the highest levels. And if you have a reputation for being a slacker, you're not, you're not, you're not going to Alabama. You're not. You're not going to Clemson. Listen, that, that's the way it goes. So, you know, so I, I look at the kids and go, listen, are you one of the two or three hardest working players on this team? If you are, we can have a conversation. If you're not, I, this, this, this whole conversation isn't for you. Like I'm, I'm only talking to those three kids. The rest of y'all can hear it. That's cool. But I'm only talking to those three. If, you, if you're not one of those three, you want to make yourself one of those three. That's football. You know, so, yeah. So that piece comes down to the standard, right? Because you, you may have some kids who have the ability or ask first to work hard, but it's not consistent working hard all the time. Right? And, and, and that is a hell of a thing because like, you, you have it in you. Right, and even even in the in the in the, in the uh, professional realm, sales, what you're doing, uh, finance, whatever, we all have this inherent potential that we may or may not meet. And it's not that you don't have the ability to do it. It's, it's are you going to to overflow your capacity to be more all the time, not just sometimes? I show what that to the anxiety. I still I still battle that the idea of of becoming complacent with where you currently are, not wanting to stay in that spot, but not consistently getting outside of yourself. To go beyond that piece, right? And that right there, man, it's it's, it's tough. It's tough. It's tough. I and mean, you got these young kids. Sometimes young, definitely not. These, 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 they're different, man. I don't understand. It. But they don't always they don't always see the bigger picture from that. And you mentioned in seven. So in high school, I, I went to Butler. I, I was I was there the first uh, state championship we had in 2009. Nick Saban came to our practice. He had Christian LeMay, the quarterback, number one in the country, the great player of the year. Uh, and it was crazy to see Nick Saban on our field. Right, Jimbo Fisher on our field. But when those guys came, you better believe what practice was everybody going heavy. Right? And we going hard. I mean, they were fighting. They say, watching us. Let's go. What's up? But it's just the idea of taking that intensity and mentality and applying it every day. Not just when Nick is there or when Jimbo is there. You know what I'm saying? And that's the difference between those who are great. Those who are just average, they carry that mindset every single day, not just when it's a certain occasion. I agree. I agree. It's funny. I always played with an edge. My sophomore year in high school, we, we had good football teams, always ranked in the state and whatever. And um, my sophomore year, I got moved up to varsity late in the season. Joe Hinder, I'll never forget it, inside linebacker, all-state linebacker, just in Oklahoma, just smashed me like a bug, knocked the ball out of my hand. And the, and the seniors have been kind of beating up on me a little bit in practice that day. This is, a, this is near the end of the practice. Knocked me down, knocked the ball out of my hand. And the coach is like, hey, you got to get the ball. Drill's not over. So I'm, I'm, I'm crawling on the ground to get the football. And all the seniors are hitting me with the bags. And I finally got the ball and crawled to the end. Was humiliated. My dad's obviously staying on the hill and watching the practice, watching his son just get his tail kicked. And I got kind of pushed around a little bit that day. So now I'm on the other side of the drill. Now I've got the bag in my hand and I'm hitting people when they come through. And I thought, you know, I go, I might die out here as a sophomore, skinny little sophomore, taking on this 230-pound senior, but I can't have this. Like, 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 like there's got to be some payback for this nonsense. Like, the, the, the buck stops here. So Joe comes through. I hit him, knock the ball out. I strip the ball out of his hand. I kick it. I kick the ball across the street, so he's got to and, – and, and then the coach is like, the coach is like, hey, you're not supposed to kick the ball. And, and I, won't, I won't use the right language I said, but I said, hey, that's not the response I got. 
balls live. Like, you don't change the rules now. Balls live. So I, then I started chasing the ball. He started chasing the ball. So I'm hitting him with the bag. Loader. So he finally gets it, and it runs all the way back and finishes. And I'm chasing him the whole time, hitting him with the bag. And everyone's just kind of going, what, what is happening right now? So we finish the drill. Then he turns around and grabs me and just body slams me. And I swear to God, I have tears in my eyes. I swear to God, I think I'm about to die. I'm like, Joe Henry is about to kill me. I, I've taken it too far, and now the senior you know, is, about, is about to murder me. And I'm holding like this. I'm hoping not to get killed and not to get punched. And I'm looking, and he's looking at me, smiling. And he says, hey, man, hey, relax, player. I'm trying to get you ready for varsity. You're about to carry the ball for 32 times on Saturday, on Friday night, and we got to get you ready to go because our starter's down, so now you're up. So I'm trying to get you ready. It's going to be worse than this when you play against Creed and Darren Hall. You did? This isn't this is personal. And I went, wow. And at that, I still get goosebumps. At that moment, I made the decision to never take another shot. I ain't taking no shots. I'm giving shots. Like, every, every single person I see the rest of my life who has a helmet on is taking it. Like, there's no more of this, like, uh, try, trying to, there's no more of that. I literally averaged, was state player of the year and averaged about 4.3 yards a carry. State champion, 100-meter dash, 200-meter dash, and long jump, and I averaged 4.3. I was running that thing 40 times a game out of the eye with no fakes and nothing. We just, here it is, 34. Here it is, 24. Here it is, 56. I mean, listen, those numbers are like this. I saw we're coming right at you. That's, and we, won, we won a lot of games that way. And, but that toughness started with Joe Hender taking a butt kick and, and then making the decision that I'm not, I'm not going to be on the receiving end of these. I mean, you know, you're going to take a few here and there, but if I can see you coming, you're going to get a, you're going to get a face mask, you know? Yeah. I love that mentality as, as we, as we wrap up here, I just, you know, it's, it's predator or prey, but what side do you want to be on? We're all business savvy. We understand like even outside of sports, you have to have a certain mentality if you want to win, if you want to succeed. And there's a difference, you know, a lot of people wake up and they just kind of let life happen to them. That's the prey. And if you are strategic in your schedule and, and how you go about your day, you're slowly training yourself and your mind to become a predator. And so when the opportunities come, when the doors open, you already know it's game time it's, and you attack. I love your story, but I love the senior that was preparing you. I had I have a very similar experience with with upperclassmen as well, and and I remember those small experiences that made such a huge difference even today. That's amazing how much you pick up for some of these guys. And, and he was he was just trying to get me trying to get me ready. <laughs> yeah. And uh, right. I didn't want to say this while I, while I got you guys real quick. Speaking of of Michigan, with the Michigan sweatshirts and all that good stuff. Couple th- couple things about Michigan. Number one is that. A lot of folks don't understand, don't know this, but everybody in Notre Dame has tremendous respect for the University of Michigan. They are one of the one of the few programs in the country that truly cares about their student athletes and graduates their kids. You know, I mean, I, I don't I don't know what it is now. That I'm still looking at my the math from the studies I was doing back in high school, but but back in the day, you know, you had graduation rates in the SEC in, in the 30s. You know what I mean? So schools like Michigan has always has always, has always been in the in the high 90s because they care. You know, they're not pushing kids through. They're, they're demanding kids take, take real classes and assign a tutor for every kid, for every class they have less than a B in. Same thing in Notre Dame. 
um, and they graduate educated. Now, listen, if you go into Michigan not having the academic skills, you're going to have them when you leave. You did. You may not have them coming in, but you're going to have them on the way out. You're going to be a Michigan man like every Michigan man before you and after you for the rest of the time. Same thing in Notre Dame. So, like, we only root against Michigan for three out three and a half hours a, a year. Other than that, we hope Michigan wins every game. They're like us. They care. You know what I mean? I won't mention some other schools in the Big Ten that don't care as much. It's pretty obvious by their by their graduation rates. So there is a other than that three and a half hours. All Notre Dame people, 99% of Notre Dame people are rooting for Michigan quietly, behind the scenes, like hoping they win. That's that's how that goes. The other thing about Michigan is my junior year, the most traumatic experience of my life, we played Michigan at our place. This is 90, at our place. And Desmond Howard, it was Desmond Howard's breakout game. Nobody, nobody, listen, nobody knew who he was. He played a bunch as a sophomore, you know, and so did I, but, you know, he was good, but you know he wasn't killing anybody. Listen, his junior year, that dude beat me for three touchdowns on national television in the first like three quarters. I mean, like he got me one, he got me four, he got me in the first, uh, he got me in the second, he got me in the third, and I completely lost confidence. I got scared. I started thinking, you know, you you the corner, you think quarterback. You start thinking about, okay, if I play on the outside leverage, at least I can make a tackle. I I, I can steer him to my help. You start thinking that way, you're giving him too much space, and now they're catching him. You're not close enough to make a tackle, so Desmond's catching the ball and she's running. And you can, you can tell him how the ball on the run on a slant, and you're not close enough to touch him. He's going to make your safety look silly. you know, And, and he's going to make you look silly because you're going to be chasing him over the end zone. So I got crushed, lost confidence. Coach Holtz pulled me out of the game. I, I got a, a note in my locker, see Coach Holtz. I went to go see Coach Holtz. He said, hey, you know, you're not ready to play football at the University of Notre Dame, obviously. And uh, I'm going to put you, I'm going to demote you, you know, and you have a chance of working, get, you, get your job back. I go, okay, that's fine. I got, I'm first team, second team now. I work my, my, I work my way back in. No big deal. I come up to practice. I've got a scout team jersey in my locker. I'm on scout team. So I'm on scout team feeling bad for myself. I call my dad. I go, listen, yeah, I'm on scout team now. He's like, what? Scout team? I go, yeah, I'm on scout team now. He goes, I'll be down there. We're going to dinner tomorrow. I go, all right. So I, I moped around. I practice. Like, that was all. So my dad, my dad drives down. First of all, that's, I mean, props to Pops. I mean, he's just, just an absolute monster. He, he sees his son's in trouble, so he gets in the car and drives six hours next day. So he drives down, watches practice, and mope around, I'm not doing a darn thing. We go out to dinner afterwards. Probably the most important words I've ever heard in my life. He said, he said, you need to accept the fact that your career at the University of Notre Dame may be over. You may never play another down in football for the University of Notre Dame, and your career could end in two years at best, it could already be over. Like you need, to, you need to, you need to, you need to hold on to that and make that yours. Number one, you have no control over how much you play. None. It's not about you. Coach Holtz makes that decision, and if he decides to play, he plays you. If he decides never to play you again, he never plays you again. That's not that's not your call. It's never been your call. Okay. Here are the things that you do have control of. You've got a 3.4 grade point average. It should be 3.7. You should graduate with honors. It would take just a little more effort for you to be an honor roll student. So do that. That's on you. Coach Holtz has nothing to do with that. Second thing is, somebody has to be the hardest working practice player, the most physical, the most aggressive, the most insistent, the most out of control football player in Notre Dame practice football history. Somebody's got to be that guy. Why not you? Somebody will be the hardest working player on this team. First guy in, last guy, last guy out. That's weight room, that's film, that's study, the whole ball of wax. Somebody's first in, first out. First in, last out. Okay? That could be you. 
Like you, you have control of the of the way you practice. And to be honest, you have a chance to actually cut it loose now. I mean, now you don't have to be nice guy. Now, now you can. You should be in a fight once a week. If five if five days of practice have gone by and you haven't been kicked out of practice or in a fight, you're not playing hard enough. I love, I love that when it goes. If you, you here's where you know you're practicing too hard when they kick you out of practice. But if they're not kicking you out of practice, there's some space. There's a gap between what you think is maxed out and what's actually maxed out. Close the gap. Close that gap. Make sure that you're practicing and that gap where they want to about to kick you out of practice is like this. You should be right on the edge. And you won't know where the edge is until you get kicked out. So I want you to crank it up and crank it up and crank it up. I mean, no cheap shots. You don't hit your teammates. You're not, none of that. But you want to talk about, like, I was as physical as I could be on, I love this, I get goosebumps, on every single down, not even period by period, not five-minute periods. I was, I was practicing literally every play. Every single snap was competition to the death. One of us is going to die out here. Like, like it, was, it was crazy. And I got in fights, and I got kicked out of practice, and Ricky Waters put me in the, in the uh, locker room and said, hey, you're showing out because you want to get your job back. And I was like, listen, here's what you don't understand, Mr. Waters. Ricky, Ricky's my guy, one of the best friends. I said, listen, here's what you don't understand, Rick is that I'm no slave. I don't work for the man. I'm practicing for Smith, the name Smith, okay? My father, my family, and myself to be the best football player I can be. If you don't like it, then you need to move back one in the line. Because if you, if you, if you get in line and there's 21 across, you're going to feel it. You dig? If, if, you, if, it's, if it's too much for you, if you don't want to practice at that level, it's fine. Take it on back. I'll never cheat such. That's not, that's not, but you're going to get it. Like, we're going to go full speed. I'm going to win some, I'm going to lose some, but you're going to get 100 miles an hour. If it's too much for you, then move your butt back, one in the line. No problem. Hey, we can handle it. It's no problem. But I, listen, but as in, you tell them, you tell Coach Holtz that I said that I don't care if I don't ever play another down here again. And the, oh, the locker room was like, oh, what? what? I can't, how, how could you say that? What? I, I stopped playing for the rewards and started playing to, to become the best football player I could be. And I, and I think that it was that whole Desmond Howard thing, getting beat, getting benched, was the beginning of my career. That's what made me a pro. I was going into the year, I was supposed to I got drafted almost in the first round, the second, the, sixth pick in the second round, something like that, whatever, 35th or whatever overall. I went from 200 and something to 30, you know, in, in a year and a half because of the attitude change after getting beat by Desmond Howard. You know, uh, and being willing to to give it all every down and practice uh, in the games, and and then having a father to give me that advice because, like I said, I'd have been under the jail without it. That having a father to come in and say, "Hey, man, like here's what you can control, here's what you can't control." Just about every decision that I've made the rest of my life. Hell of a story with so many different principles in it. <laughs> Absolutely, it's a lot of <laughs> Absolutely, we could go we could go on for for hours. There's so much mindset. If you dissect what you're what you're saying, I just want to say thank you again, Rod. It's been a pleasure. It's I couldn't even I was trying to like think about like how good this was gonna be and then the mindset behind the stories. I'm like, man, this makes me wanna like I quit football in middle school. I got tired of getting hit. I'm not gonna lie to you. <laughs> but I'm like, maybe I should put some pads on right now. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, thank you again. Thank you again. I, I, I 
really appreciate you guys having me. And, um, and you know, and I've got a million more stories to, to tell as well. So if you guys want to run it back, whatever, in a month or a couple of weeks, just listen, just hit me up. I'd be happy to jump back on and do it again. We've got, you know, I'm sure you have some questions. You may think of some questions or have some fans come call with some questions. We'll put them in a stack, whatever, and I'll, I'll absolutely do it again and, uh, and, and appreciate the opportunity. It's been great talking with you guys. Perfect. Absolutely. Yes, we will. We will definitely do that. As we close here, thank you all again for tuning in. As always, we love y'all. Any questions that you do have for Rod, please shoot them to us and we will be happy to get those answered for you. Uh, Rod, where can people find you on uh, social? My girl's running my Instagram now and it's, it's starting, to, starting to build the following. I'm at uh, Rod Smith ND. Okay. And forget, I'm still trying to figure it out. But at, at Rod Smith ND, you, know, you, you can beat me there. And, uh, uh, you know, we talk about longevity and mindset, mindset stuff, mindset, longevity, and, you know, what I'm doing physically now is to, to keep it together. And, uh, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of fun stuff on the page. Absolutely. Awesome. We'll go follow Rod. We love y'all. And until next time, peace.